You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So thank you so much for tuning into today's show. On today's show, number 165, we are going to go through the 11 golden rules to follow if you're trading options. So if you're brand new to trading or if you've even been trading for a while, you might want to revisit these rules because to me... I think these are the things that you absolutely have to do. They are golden rules for a reason. You have to do all of these if you want to be successful trading. And in fact, they're so important that I think that if you miss one of these, the whole house of cards basically falls in on itself. So I encourage you to go through and listen to this podcast. We actually did a version of this on the daily call where we did each of these golden rules for a day. It was very well received. Everyone liked it. Uh, So we decided to wrap this up and kind of talk a little bit more about them in a full out weekly podcast here. So again, you can see all these and get some more links and any of the references that I mentioned in this podcast by heading over to the show notes page. That'll be at optionalpha.com slash show 165. Again, just the number 165, optionalpha.com slash show 165. All right, so we're going to jump right into it as always, and we're going to get started with golden rule number one. And so I actually want to go kind of front to back on this list. I usually went uh, back to front. So I would do 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Today, I'm going to go front to back because I think it's important we start off with the most important thing, which of course is no surprise to anybody who's been listening to us for a really long time. But the most important thing you can do, golden rule number one, is small position sizes. And I know, I know what you're probably thinking, because if you listen to this a lot, you're probably thinking, oh my God, Kirk, I hear this all the time, but you hear it all the time because it's that important. And because I still hear a lot of people and see a lot of people breaking this rule. Small position sizes to me means the following. No ticker symbol represents more than 5% of risk in your account at any one time. So no ticker symbol represents more than 5% risk in your account at any one time. This means that you could have five trades in that ticker symbol. You could have a hundred positions, a hundred contracts in that ticker symbol. You could have them spread across different months, different asset, like different time periods. But at no point should the summation of all of those trades in that ticker symbol represent more than 5% of your account. And the reason why this is the case is so simple is because we have no idea where any one position will go in any time period. We could have the most stable thing imaginable completely blow up in our face. You could have a market just completely explode to the high side, completely explode to the downside, or just stay absolutely flat when you thought it was going to go in either direction. You don't want to put yourself in the position where a single position, a single ticker symbol blows up your account. And that doesn't mean that it it won't hurt. It will definitely hurt if it moves in the wrong direction. You just don't want it to blow up your account. So a 50% or 20% or even 10% position can be gone in the snap of a finger. And more importantly, because options are a leveraged product, you could easily have a position that starts off as a small position and you go through assignment and you have to deal with assignment and dividends or all of these other things that could actually happen. It's very rare, but it could happen. And that position could start to balloon in, in risk. So you really need to keep this one under wraps. 
all of the people that I've ever coached or seen through emails, because we send hundreds of emails back and forth with people every single day, every single time that people have an issue with trading and they try to blame me, one, because I'm the scapegoat initially for it is, oh, I followed this trade, Kirk, and now it was wrong. And I start digging into it. And almost every single time, the first thing that I notice is position size is too big. It's either 8%, 10%, 15%. And there's always a reason. There's always a but. Like I thought about having the position size smaller, but this was a good trade. Or but I can't make all the trades, so I want to scale up. Or but this looked like a really good opportunity. Or but I really need money. Like there's no reason to have position size too large. When your position size is too large, you make irrational decisions. You start trading based off of emotion and that never ends up working out well. So again, number one here is small position size. Number two on the coattails of number one is high trade count. So high trade count is really important because we're trading a high probability system. And when you trade a high probability system, you need a lot of occurrences to let the probabilities work out to their expected outcome. It's just as simple as that. I've used this analogy before, but it's so important. I'm going to again use it here with you. But if you are going to be flipping a coin and you're going to be betting that it's 50-50 heads and tails, don't you think there's a possibility, even the most remote chance, that you could, after 10 flips of that coin, find five heads and, or sorry, find 10 heads and zero tails? Now, the expected outcome of flipping that coin is that you would have five heads and five tails. But there is a possibility, and it's probably actually a likely possibility, though even small, a likely possibility, you could flip the coin 10 times in a row and find 10 heads and zero tails. Now, in the world of trading, what happens is that people make 10 trades, 20 trades. They even make maybe 100 trades, which seems like a lot. And they don't find that the probabilities have ended up the way that they thought. So their immediate default reaction is, it's a scam, it's bogus, it doesn't work, this is like, I knew that 90% of people lost money, this doesn't work for me, but the reality is is that you just haven't made enough trades. As traders, one of our biggest risks is that we get through a series or a sequence of bad trades. And it doesn't mean that we were doing anything wrong, it just means that we went through a period where we had 10 heads in a row and nailed no tails. You could have a 70% chance of success trade and go through a period where you have 10, 15 losses in a row. Now, that is highly unlikely to happen, but it's possible. It could happen. And so what you need to do is you need to first position size accordingly so that if you go through a sequence of bad trades, you don't blow up your account quickly. It's just small positions. But then two, have in the back of your mind that you need a high trade count in order for the probabilities to work out. I would suggest somewhere around four to 500 trades is where the probabilities really start tightening and converging around the expected outcome. And so if you come to me or if you post about how you're losing money and you blame me and you haven't made 500 trades the right way, you are wasting your time. And I do not like subscribe to that. I don't give that the light of day anymore because oftentimes what I see people do is they come in and they say, well, I've made, you know, I followed this for like three months and it's not working out. But you made like 10 trades in three months or 15 trades in three months. Like it could have been the complete opposite. You know, the funny thing is, is that we've had months where we've actually had a hundred percent winners. I think we had one earlier this year where we had a month where we had literally a hundred percent winning trades. And I said in the video update, this is an anomaly. This is not supposed to happen. This was a great sequence of trades. We could have easily had the complete opposite. 
So I talk about this on both ends and I speak about it through both sides because you need to understand it. But the more important thing here is you have to have high trade count. The longer that you stay in the game and the more you get your trade count up, the more solidified you will be in this business and the more consistent you will be over time. Because consistency looks really cool after a thousand trades. It's really tough to get to that point. Number three, uncorrelated tickers. I used to say diverse tickers uh, for many years. And I think diverse tickers, though intuitively I think people knew what I was talking about, wasn't exactly the most accurate description for this one. But what you need is not just a diverse set of tickers in that you need just random tickers thrown into your portfolio. You need uncorrelated tickers. You need things that are not likely to move together in a market move. And so this means that you don't need a diversity of SPY, DIA, and IWM. Those are all major market ETFs. So if you were to trade all three of those products, yes, you would have uh, a little bit of risk in each of those ticker symbols, but it's basically all the same symbol because they all trade together. They're highly correlated to one another. If one goes up, the other ones go up. If one goes down, the other ones go down. They trade in a pool together. And so what you need is you don't need just more symbols for the sake of diversity to check the box. You need to figure out what are the things that are uncorrelated to one another. What are the things that if one moves, it doesn't necessarily mean the other ones can move the same direction or even move at all. And that's what we need. So what our focus has been, has always been on how do we add uncorrelated exposure to our portfolio? Many many people think traditionally it's just stocks and bonds. Well, stocks and bonds are actually, in many cases, highly correlated to one another. They're not as highly correlated as IWM and SPY, which are almost perfectly correlated together, but stocks and bonds still have a high positive correlation. What you need is you need other things besides that, that create a pool of ticker symbols that you can trade that are as uncorrelated as possible to one another. Now we'll get back to number three in a little bit because I think number three will kind of come back up because there's one component here of number three that we haven't talked about that is more appropriate as we get into uh, some further ones. So number four here of these golden rules is a balanced portfolio. This one to me is like a no-brainer. I mean, it really is. When you start trading options, one of the beautiful things that you will learn is that you no longer have to trade what I call like monodirection. Like you can trade omnidirectional at this point. So when you trade stocks and you realize most people assume that trading stocks is a one-way street, you have to buy something low and you can only sell it high. And that's the only thing they know. In fact, I would argue that most of the entire investing universe still believes that this is the only way to make money, is to trade something by buying it low and selling it high. And that's what we've been accustomed to. That's what we've been conditioned to understand by Wall Street and by the media and by markets and et cetera. When you learn about options, you learn that there's another side to that coin, this idea that you can trade not only directionally lower, so you can profit if a stock moves lower, but you can trade when a stock is just range bound or when implied volatility collapses or expands. There's multiple payoff paths, if you will, for options trading. And so as an options trader, I believe that one of your key superpowers that you can start to deploy is the ability to balance a portfolio. And I'm not talking balance as in the traditional sense of, well, you need a balanced portfolio, you know, stocks and bonds. No, I'm saying balance directionally. 
you should be trading both directions or you should be trading generally range bound because that's where markets move. Markets move in a range. They move in ebbs and flows and cyclical cycles up and down. And so what we need to profit off of is those general range bound moves. We know that they're going to have moves that are unexpected and large in both directions, large up moves, large down moves. That's okay. That's part of the game. We know that that's going to be the not norm. But what we need to do is figure out a way to balance our portfolio so that we profit from the ups and downs in a given range. One of the ways you can do this is using beta weighting. I think that's a really good way to go about it. You can beta weight your portfolio and look at your portfolio curve and ask yourself questions like, am I balanced? Or a more appropriate question is, where would the market need to move in order for me to make the most amount of money? And that question, I think, is the one that really gets people thinking about their portfolio balance. Because if you look at your beta weighted curve and you answer that question and you say, okay, where would the market need to move in order for me to make the most amount of money? Well, the market would need to move higher. And at that point, I would basically reach the apex of my payoff diagram. And so if I need the market to move higher, that means that my portfolio is naturally tilted bullish. So it answers the question almost rhetorically for you. If you need the market to move higher to make the most amount of money, then you are bullish in tilt. And what that means is that maybe what you should do is you should not add any more bullish positions or be careful with the number of bullish positions that you add because you're already bullish in tilt. This is a very simple exercise that I go through a lot with our members and with coaching clients is if you think about the traditional sense uh, or the traditional phrase, buy the dip. What buy the dip is, is a really bad phrase to memorize or to act on because what it's telling you to do is to get more bullish specifically when you probably don't need any more bullish exposure. So think about this for a second. You buy a stock at $100 and the stock goes down to $80. Now, most people would say, buy the dip. The stock is dipped down to $80. This is your chance. This is your chance to get back in. But you already bought the stock at $100. You need the stock to go back up to $100 to break even or or above $100 to make money. Even as the stock is moving lower, you are getting more and more bullish on the stock. You need a bigger and bigger and bigger move higher in the stock in order for you to make money. But if you don't subscribe to that, you say, you know what? Everyone says buy the dip. You buy at 80. Well, what if the stock goes to 60? Do you keep buying? Well, what if the stock goes to 40 or 50? Is there a level at which you just run out of capital and you get so bullish, you dig yourself into such a deep hole that you can't possibly recover? So my feeling on this is always with balanced portfolios is that you want to move or trade the opposite direction of where the market is moving. If the market moves down and you were neutral to begin with, you do not need any more bullish positions. You are already bullish by default. Your portfolio already needs the market to go back up, a bullish move for you to make money or to get back to neutral. What you need is you need more bearish exposure. And this is why I think many times people have a hard time trading big market moves down and big market runs up because what they do is they trade the move that the market did. If the market goes down, they buy. If the market goes up, they sell. And they basically compound themselves into a large position in the wrong direction. I suggest you do the opposite. I suggest that if the market goes down, you add more bearish positions to your portfolio as a way to balance out what you already have that's becoming increasingly bullish. And so if the market continues to go down, guess what? You're not feeding into that frenzy. You're adding more bearish positions. You're trading the direction that the market is moving. 
Okay, so hopefully I've definitely beaten that beaten that dead horse. Hopefully that helps out. Number five, you have to be a net seller. This should come as no surprise, but the edge that we can define, the implied volatility risk premium is available to option sellers. So that means you have to be a net option seller. Does that mean that you can't buy options? Of course not. You can choose to buy options if you want. Just be a net option seller more often than you are a net option buyer. This is how we gain our advantage in the market is by collecting premium and being patient enough to let the mispricing happen as we go through expiration. Remember, options are perfectly priced at the time that you enter them. They are. They're perfectly priced for the expectation of where the market is going to move and how much volatility there is. The mispricing only occurs once reality actually plays out over the course of 30 or 45 days. Remember, if people expect right now for the market to move up or down 10%, then that option contract is priced perfectly based on that expectation. The reality is, is that after we go through the next 30 or 45 days, the market may only move up or down 8%. And that differential is what creates an opportunity for us as option sellers. But we have to be patient enough to let that movement happen and to let that mispricing start to materialize and reveal itself once we get further into expiration. It doesn't happen right away, and that's what's tough for it. A lot of people understand that this mispricing is there. They just don't have enough patience to let that mispricing happen through the course of the expiration month. Number six, no stop losses. I would say that this is an asterisk type of situation. I definitely think that you're better off long-term not using stop losses than you are using stop losses. Are there strategies in the very small micro fraction that would work better if you use a stop loss? Of course. And if you feel more comfortable trading using a stop loss, by all means, knock your socks off. But generally what we see time and time again in lots of backtesting, lots of different strategies, lots of environments is that stop losses create more losses. They should be be called create more loss orders instead of stop loss orders because they do anything but stop the lo- the losing and the bleeding. What they end up doing is getting you out on market fluctuations and wiggle. <laughs> That's really what I think about it as, is that the market is going to wiggle and it's going to move between now and expiration. And if you place a stop loss order, there's a very high likelihood that that stop loss order gets executed. And it's just because of the wiggle and the movement that happens between today and when expiration is. Again, we've seen this you know, statistically and data-wise, stop-loss orders end up losing more often than no stop-loss. That means when you get challenged on a position, you are better off doing nothing at all than to simply close out the position and remove it early. Number seven, opportunistic profit-taking. This, I think, is really important because opportunistic profit-taking is really the antithesis of uh, no stop-loss orders. It's the older stepbrother, if you will, right? And what you need to do with trading is you need to figure out for your particular trading strategy that you're using, a covered call, a straddle, an iron butterfly, a credit spread, what is the best opportunity to take money off the table and have a high win rate coupled with high returns? Now, that doesn't always mean that those are all going to match up. This should be a little bit flexible based on your risk profile, what you're willing to accept. Generally, when you take profits early, you have a super, super high win rate. But in exchange for having a high win rate and taking profits early, you generally make a little bit less money long-term than if you were to hold for bigger profits. And so this is the trade-off. When you take profits too early, 
you have a super high win rate, which is great for consistency, makes you feel good, increases your trade count, makes you feel like you're winning a lot more often, can do a lot of great emotional things for new traders. When you get to the point where I'm at at this point is that win rates are great, but what's more important is how much money we're making, and I'm willing to sacrifice slightly lower win rates in exchange for holding positions a little bit deeper into the expiration cycle, maybe going for a little bit higher profit target because I know that that's going to make more money net-net long-term. So that means I'm going to go through maybe some more drawdowns in the process to get there. It means that the road is not going to be as smooth, but my target is something a little bit higher in profit-taking or a little bit higher in return. Now, you can always take this to the nth degree and you can really hold a lot of things to expiration. And in fact, we see in a lot of backtesting that most things that are held to expiration, not all, but most strategies that are held to expiration end up having some of the higher profits overall, the higher net-net profits. But they do go through, again, even lower win rates and even bigger drawdowns. So there is some sort of play here back and forth that you have to figure out what's good for you. If you're a newbie trader, I would definitely suggest taking profits early in the cycle and taking them at lower profit-taking levels to increase your trade count, get some consistency, you know, really kind of get your, your feet under you, if you will. If you're an older, more experienced trader, if you've been around this for a while, you have the emotional stamina to deal with it, maybe taking profits a little bit later in the cycle, not necessarily at expiration, but maybe somewhere in between, you know, 50, 75%, somewhere in that range, depending on the strategy, take profits a little bit later and understand that that means you're going to go through a couple more drawdowns or, you know, losing trades in the process of getting there. All right. Number eight, ample cash reserve. Ample cash reserve is really important because we are trading leveraged products here. So options, contracts, They are not just the notional value that you get into these contracts for. They do have additional risk because they're leveraging. We're leveraging a single option contract in exchange for 100 shares of underlying stock. And that leverage comes at a cost. And that cost is that when things blow up and you get assigned, you're going to have a ballooning of margin potentially, and you could have positions that start to really go against you if the markets get really crazy and hairy. And so as a result, what you need to understand is that you don't have to invest all of your money to outperform the market with options. In fact, we've seen in numerous studies, as well as other people have done studies around this as well, so you can take a look at theirs in addition to ours, but we've seen that options trading strategies where you're leveraging, say, 60, 70, 80% of your account actually end up out uh, underperforming the market or in many cases blowing up. So too much leverage can be a bad thing. It's like like loans and debt and leverage and everything else. You have too little leverage and you don't really get the benefit of using it. So too little invested, it doesn't really give you the benefit. Too much invested in leverage and you leave yourself highly exposed to blowing up your account or going through massive drawdowns. So we find somewhere around 30 to 50% allocation globally in your whole portfolio is where you maybe need to be. So if you get allocations over 50% by a wide margin, then you probably are going to get into a bad sequence of trades at some point and you're going to go through Murphy's Law, like something bad's going to happen and it's going to happen to you. So this means that if you're going to trade, let's say 30% of your account and you're going to use that for options trading strategies or 50% of your account, the other rest of your account should be in cash. It should be sitting there in cash as a backstop. Cash is 
the great optionality that allows you to be flexible when there are more opportunities on the table. So think about this. Anytime that you are fully invested, if you are, let's say, 90, 100% invested, and there's no more chips that you can put on the table, there's no more capital you can allocate, that means that you have now made the decision to invest all of your money, and that will then cause you to make extremely irrational decisions out of desperation. If you get a margin call, if you get challenged on a position, you start basically putting yourself back against a wall. And nobody does well with their back against a wall, right? It's like human nature at that point. If we are forced into a corner and we have our back against the wall, there's no place else we can go. So we are going to fight and claw and grind our way out of that situation however we can do it. And that creates desperate, irrational trading. What cash allows you to do is has have optionality to choose what you need to do in certain situations. Many times when we go through major market down moves or even just huge spikes up in, in stocks like we've seen recently with like TLT and GLD, those positions that have this kind of runaway mentality for a little bit force people into capital positions where they are left with no money on the table and they are forced to exit positions at the worst possible time. It's like your capital allocation, the fact that you over allocated into too many positions and didn't leave enough cash basically acted like one big stop loss that's going to be triggered in the next spike up or down in the market. And we see this happen all the time. We saw it happen in December of 2018 where you know the market was crashing and people with not enough cash had to start forced selling positions literally right before the market started to rebound and volatility came down. And so it forces you to do stuff you wouldn't normally do had you have enough, had enough cash. Not to mention what I already mentioned before, but I'll say it again, you don't need to invest all that cash. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, like what if I want to invest all of it because options are so great. Options are great when used appropriately. And that means that the leverage has to be used appropriately as well. If you over lever, you're going to force yourself into a situation where you go through a bad string of trades and you get yourself into a market that you can't get out of and your back is against the wall. So again, ample cash reserve is really important. You can be flexible on this. We say start with 50% cash and start tilting from there. So you could have more in some scenarios. You could have less in some scenarios. If you have an IRA account, you might have a little bit less cash reserve because you can do everything risk defined and it's not going to be as flexible margin wise, but whatever you end up doing, just start at 50% and then tilt from there. However you see fit. Now, number nine is reduce commissions and fees. I think that this is really important on the retail side when it comes to active management. You know, I think that fees for brokers are cost of doing business. So the commission that you pay or not to a broker is a cost of doing business, but you should be actively working to reduce that cost of business. Fees are never going to break a great option strategy. So it will never break a great trading strategy that works long term. So the fees can be definitely a nuisance. It can be something that drags on the portfolio, but it shouldn't break the portfolio long term. That doesn't mean that you can't work actively to reduce your fees. We've talked about this a number of times in podcasts here, on daily calls, on live streams. You should be contacting your broker and negotiating your fees all the time. And in fact, you should be even considering that most of the new brokers that are coming out are cost-free. There's no commission that's involved in trading. If you wanted to trade with Robinhood or some of these other ones that are free, by all means do that. Just understand that not all things are created equal that are created free. So if you are trading with a free broker, 
that means that they probably are free because they had to scale back on some of the functionality that might allow you to squeeze more profit out of a trade. I think this is very much the case, and I've been very open about this with Robinhood. I think Robinhood is a great platform. I think it's definitely the leader and it's leading all the brokers to chase it to zero. And in the future, all brokers will be zero for commissions in trading. It will happen in our lifetime for sure. It'll happen in the next five or six years probably. But until then, what has happened with Robinhood is that Robinhood, as great as it is for commissions, lacks in a lot of areas. And those areas that it lacks in, you probably more than make up for it by paying a commission and getting a better trade filled or getting a better position filled with another broker like TD or TradeStation or Interactive Brokers or Tastyworks or whoever. So I think you really have to think about this, but consider commissions and fees and try to reduce them. The other side of this coin to me, and this is how I personally feel about this, is that if you feel you're able, I think you should not have any financial advisor managing your money. My personal opinion on this is that financial advisors add great amounts of wealth and great amounts of value in making sure that you stay the course. But if you have enough discipline to do that by yourself, you don't need somebody else to help you do that. And a great, you know, like somebody who's great at staying the course and has emotional intelligence, basically, I think anybody who's just wise about how they manage their money can more than take care of that stuff for themselves and save the 1% fee that's out there right now. In fact, I think I heard a stat before that even if you could predict the best asset class on a rolling period, the 1% commission or fee to manage that whole portfolio would turn the best asset class into potentially the worst performing portfolio. So think about if you had enough forethought to actually choose and you knew in advance that there was going to be this asset class that was going to be the best, but that fee just becomes just such a big drag after a long period of time. It's not a knock against financial advisors. I think, like I said, they serve their purpose in helping people direct tax strategy and uh, direct strategy for their heirs and trusts and you know all of that stuff I think is great. But I think that if you have enough forethought and if you have enough emotional stability to manage your own portfolio and stick with it, then you don't need to, to go that route or at least should consider it. Number 10, adjust to reduce risk. This is really important. Oftentimes, people get into the mentality, specifically when their back's against the wall, that they need to fight back against the market, that the market got them somehow, right? Air fingers quotes, got them. And so as a result, you do things you wouldn't normally do. You double down on positions, you try to fight back against trades, you gotta get a win because a win is what you need at this point and you don't need another loser. This is obviously the wrong mentality to fall into, but yet again, we always fall into it because somehow we go from higher level thinking to lower level thinking when we get into drawdown situations. And so what we do with positions that start to lose is we immediately start to find ways to fix the trade. Many times the ways that we try to fix them are ways that increase the risk. And I'm never a fan of doing this. I've been very open about this. I do this with my own portfolio every single day because I have to talk the talk and walk the walk. I have to eat my own dog, you know what, by doing this every single day. I will not adjust positions just because they are losing money. I will adjust positions because the portfolio in that position needs an adjustment. And that adjustment reduces risk, not increases it. So when you are looking to make adjustments, please do not increase the capital that you've allocated to that position. Doubling down on a position or increasing how much money you have in that position by no means is going to help long term. 
Many times this will lead to a false positive, which is literally the worst thing that, that can happen to you as a trader is you double down on a position and it works. And that's great for that position because you made money. But what that has taught you to do is that when things go bad, you double down on risk. And eventually that's going to come back around. It's going to bite you in the rear. And so what I think you should always be doing is adjusting to reduce risk. The, le- the worst thing you can do is when you have a position that goes against you, increase the risk because you know what's going to happen. Like you're an adult. We're all adults here. We know Murphy's Law is in play. If something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to you, right? And so that's why you have to adjust to reduce risk. In fact, we talked about this actually just recently in the podcast two weeks ago where we talked about um, XLE in our long five-month position. Every adjustment that we made, every mechanical time that we sold contracts in XLE as we were assigned stock was to reduce the cost basis. And by reducing cost basis, we reduced risk. Because we were able to reduce cost basis enough and be patient enough to let the trade work out over a long period of time, we were able to reduce it enough and hold on to the trade long enough that it turned the trade all the way back around. And so that's what we're talking about here is making adjustments to reduce risk. Number 11. So we've gone through the top 10, and this one's arguably one of the most important, though I've saved it to the end because I wanted to capstone this with something that I think brought all of these things together. And number 11 is non-emotional expected outcomes. This is something that's very, very hard for a lot of people to understand, let alone to actually practice, right? So there's obviously two parts to this. There's the understanding part of non-emotional expected outcomes, and then there's the actual implementation or practical part, right? That you actually have to live this, not just understand it, but you actually have to do it on a day-to-day basis. I think about this very much like health and fitness or even marriage or family or relationships, jobs. There's probably a million examples of this, but in health and fitness, we know we should eat right and exercise. That's the understanding part. That's the mindset part. But then there's the actual implementation, the practice of it, which is actually eating healthy and actually working out every day, right? So everybody knows what to do. The hardest part is actually just doing it, just actually going through the activities and the mechanics that we know we should be doing. In trading, this for sure is the number one reason why people fail. Probably maybe tied with number one here on the list of small position size. It's this idea that we let our emotions control what we do. And when we talk about at Option Alpha expected outcomes, it's just that. We should have an understanding of what a strategy will do generally long-term, if we were to trade it enough with the right position size, with a high trade count, we should know that we're trading a strategy that has a positive expected outcome. There is no reason for you to trade things that have a negative expected outcome. There's just no reason. You should always be looking for a strategy that is going to win long-term. Now I say long-term because it may not win the first 10 times or the first 50 times or even the first 100 trades that you do, you still may be underwater. But if you're trading something with a positive expected outcome that you know net-net long-term it's going to win with enough trades, then you should be fine emotionally to weather everything before that. That's the tough part though. The tough part is, like fitness, if you know eating right and working out and you know lifting weights is going to lead to a great body, great health, you should be willing to weather everything that happens before then. But it's hard sometimes to get into that mentality, to eat right for two weeks, to work out for a month and a half and not see progress. I get that. I understand that. That's tough for a lot of people. 
I, I, I don't know why, but for me, that's not tough. That's like not a thing that I've definitely learned to overcome. And I see the, the full end of the spectrum and I have no problem going through the messy middle, if you will. I think a great analogy on this, and this like really kind of proves the point is uh, one of, and actually this is a, f- a funny little side story, but a f- fun fact, I guess, about Kirk is that when I was a kid and even up through like, uh, you know, high school and when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a pitcher. In fact, I pitched for high school. I pitched, uh, you know, like AAU and all these like sports teams. I loved baseball and I loved pitching in particular. And so no surprise that I ended up being a quarterback in football and playing in college, et cetera. But I loved pitching. And one of my favorite pitchers when I was a kid was Greg Maddox. And so Greg Maddox at the time played for the Atlanta Braves. In fact, it was like Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and all those guys during that time period. But Greg Maddox was a great pitcher and he didn't look like a regular pitcher. In fact, he was kind of goofy to some degree. I think he still still kind of looks a little magoo sometimes. And I love him love him a lot. He was one of my favorite pitchers to watch and 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 definitely to, you know, see him play. And what I thought was, you know, super super interesting about Greg Maddox and I only learned this a couple years ago was that he was asked after one of the games that he played. And again, this is a guy who has won the Cy Young Award four times. I mean, so he's an amazing pitcher, right? He was asked after a game how the game went. And so naturally, if you're a pitcher, right, you're kind of leading the charge in the game. You're directing the ship and you pitch an entire game. And a reporter comes up to you and says, well, how did the game go? And his response was incredibly revealing to his mentality. The same mentality which I think you should have as an options trader. And the same mentality that I try to have every single day as I go through my process and make the trades. And his answer was 73-78. Now think about that for a second. That, that like is meaningless to us as regular people right now, but to him, that was the entire game wrapped up in one simple phrase. So he said to the person, he said seventy three seventy eight. They said, "What do you what do you mean seventy three seventy eight? Like you guys won?" He said, "Yeah, but seventy three out of seventy eight times, the ball came off my fingers the way that I wanted." Now think about this for a second. And he was asked later about this in interviews, but why answer with that question with that answer? Because to him, the only thing that was important was making sure every single time the ball came off of his fingers the way that he wanted it to roll off his fingertips. Because everything that happened after that, he said, was beyond his control. He had no control over what the batter was going to do, what his teammates were going to do, what calls the umpire was going to have. The only thing he controlled was how the ball rolled off of his fingertips. So when he was asked by a reporter how the game went, he said 73 out of 78 because he didn't care about the score because to him, the score was not important. If he was going to be an amazing pitcher, a Hall of Fame pitcher, he needed to make sure that the ball came off of his fingers 78 out of 78 times the way that he wanted to. So the four times that it didn't come off, the or five times it didn't come off his finger the way that he wanted, he made a mental note of that. Think about this. You're an MLB pitcher and you're making a mental note how many times the ball does not roll off your finger the right way. That is the mentality you should have as a trader because the things that we don't control are numerous. What Trump does, I mean, like I'm just using Trump or whoever you want, what any president does, what a country does, what the market does, what the Fed does, what this stock does, what a CEO does, what the Department of Homeland Security does, what the health, like it, there are so many things we don't control as a trader, but what we can control is how 
the ball rolls off of our fingers, the trades that we make. Do we make trades with small position size, high trade count? Do we choose uncorrelated tickers? Do we care about balance? Are we net selling? Are we not using stop losses? Are we opportunistically taking profits? Are we deliberately having ample cash reserves, right? Are we adjusting to reduce risk? These are all things that wonderfully are in our control. We have control over them. And once we make trades, then it's out of our control. Once we put trades into the market, what happens during that time period is is out of our control. But if we do the right mechanics now, things will work out for us long-term. Like what Maddox knew is he knew that if the ball came off of his finger the right way, even though he'd obviously have some people hit some home runs against him, have pitched some really bad games, right? Get some really bad calls. People make errors in the field. He knew that if he did the right thing pitching, that everything else would take care of itself. And so as a trader, you should be focused on getting the things that you control right and let everything else basically happen, right? Make sure that the trades are rolling off your fingers the right way and everything else will kind of fall into place. The problem that I see with people right now is that their feelings that they have about trading are exactly what got them in the place, the trouble that they're at right now to begin with. Your feeling about a trade or your feeling about how something should work is exactly probably the reason why you started options trading in the first place is because you wanted a different feeling. You wanted a different outcome, but you're letting your old feelings, your old predisposed behavioral biases to creep back in. And so if you want to be successful, you have to do something different. And so you have to do what is required to be successful in this business, not just what you feel like doing. I've laid out what I think are non-negotiable requirements for you to be successful. If you break one of these rules, watch how quickly this house of cards falls in on itself. High, high, small, or high trade position size, immediately lost trade. 100%, like take it to its nth degree. 100% exposure in one trade, how quickly are you going to lose all your money? Low trade count, meaning you only tried a couple times, you're never going to make money. You trade a lot of correlated tickers and the market crashes, you're never going to make money. You trade a one-sided portfolio, how many people have done that and how is that going, right? You trade a one-sided portfolio, it's just a matter of time before it all crashes back down. You're not a net seller. You use stop losses. You don't take profits. You have no ample cash reserve. You increase your commissions and fees. You never adjust to reduce risk. All you do is double down on position after position after position. And you're super, super emotional about everything. Like, tell me that all of these things do not work out in your favor if you do them right. But break one rule and come back around and tell me that I'm wrong in five years that you should have not broken that rule. There's always a person who's like, but this trade worked out when I did a high trade or a high position size, or but I needed to be super correlated in these contracts because I made a lot of money. That's fine. Those are short-term mentality thinkers and I have no place for them. If you want to be in this business for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, these are the things that you need to do because right now you're probably here because your feelings got you in trouble. And you have to do what's required to be successful, not just what you feel like doing. In my case, I think you should make informed decisions, not irrational decisions. And sometimes an informed decision means that you hold on to a loser, means that you don't use a stop loss, means that you don't exit early when it feels like you're being challenged, that you stay the course, that you 
play the expected outcome. That I think is the difference between people who are going to make in this business and people who are not. So hopefully this helps out. As always, if you guys enjoy these, please let us know. Please head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. And you can also, again, go back to the podcast page on the website and get a good look at all these again if you want to print them off or you know make a list of them. I think that'd be really cool. But again, you can head on over to the show notes page at opshop.com slash show 165. Again, that's just the number 165. Now, before I get into the Trader Q&A segment, again, like I said, I want to leave a quick shout out and thank you to one of our members in the community who left us a review recently. And we always appreciate reviews from everybody, especially if you think these podcasts are helping out. Uh, but this is Mad Hatta who left a review back in 2017. He said, I wish I could rate this a thousand more times. I've listened to quite a few financial podcasts in my day. Many of them start out with some high level information, book a few high profile interviews with some top traders, and then direct you to some paid version of some canned one size fits all trading system. What we have here is quite different. Instead of selling snake oil, this guy is the real deal. They get step-by-step guidance in every possible medium imaginable, video tutorials, show notes, and of course, the weekly podcast. The material is always fresh and exciting. He did just compare options trading to Michael Jordan though, but he dedicates the entire segment to responding to listener questions and gives thoughtful and context-specific recommendations. I just started this podcast a couple weeks ago and I've been listening to 30 episodes already. The ironic thing is I'm not trying to, he's not trying to upsell me or give away all of his premium info. I would buy bottles of sand from this guy. If you care all about your financial future, I suggest you sign up and rate now. Thank you. So again, thank you so much, Matt Hatter. And yes, I did actually compare options trading to Michael Jordan. In fact, I compared a lot of times to different things. And today we compared it to pitching with uh, Greg Maddox. So hopefully that helped out. Hopefully that was a good analogy. Look, I always actually like to compare things to uh, things that we're like kind of common and, you know, used to in our daily life. I think that's, I learned this from my wife, but I think that that's how you teach something really well is you actually make it relatable to something people already know and understand. And if you can, you know, kind of weave in those two components together, I know for me, it makes me understand and comprehend and retain a lot of this stuff a lot better. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. My name is Alex. I live in Loveland, Colorado, and I've been trading options in a paper money account for about the last three months. I recently rolled my IRA into a new trading account, and I'm looking at placing some small risk-adjusted trades. My account value is very minimal, about $3,500. And my question is this, what target return percentage should I reasonably expect to achieve over the next year if I'm placing trades at a 70% probability level and using a 2 to 3% trade size allocation with about two to three trades per month? I want to thank you for your website. Thank you for everything that you do for the options community and keep up the great work. All right. So Alex, thank you so much, man, for submitting the question into the Trader Q&A segment. Again, I think that this is a, a really important question that people have, and I think it's flexible. So I would say that I think a reasonable ballpark target that you should shoot for long-term is probably in the 10 to 15 range. And I truly say that because I think that's, that's a, a reasonable expectation. That's actually above long-term global market average. So global portfolio probably averages around seven to eight percent. And I think if you shoot around like the 10 to 12, 15 on the high end range, I think you'd probably be okay to shoot for that trajectory. Now that's probably what you'll hit long term. You're going to go through some ups and downs along the way to get there. And there could definitely be sequences or years where you don't do anything or you do something very, very flat. 
But I think a lot of people shooting for 25, 30, 40, 50% returns are just plain crazy. Because at that point, compounding wise, you'd own the entire world in a short amount of time. So if you see someone shooting for 50, 80, 70, 30, 50, 60% compounded returns, it's probably not going to last long because at that return rate, you'd own small countries, you'd own entire states in a very short period of time. So I think the more reasonable expectation, like I said, 10 to 12 range. Okay. Now at that point, you can definitely start to adjust position sizing and how aggressive you are with strategies to kind of fit your risk profile. Generally, you go with the more aggressive strategies, the straddle, strangles, iron butterflies, et cetera. You're going to hopefully hit the higher end of that range, but that means that you're going to have lower win rates and you're going to go through potentially more or bigger drawdowns in the process of getting there. You go for things that are more conservative, a little bit tighter spreads like uh, very tight iron butterflies, credit spreads, et cetera. You're not going to hit those higher watermarks as far as return wise, but you're also going to have really high win rates. You're not going to go through as many drawdowns. It's going to be a smoother ride, if you will. So it's up to you to ultimately decide where you want to go with this. Uh, I would suggest anybody listening to this to go back to show number 159, which is the one that we talked about building an options portfolio with $3,000. But in that show, and especially in those show notes, we highlighted a iron butterfly, I'm sorry, iron condor strategy in SPY, very simple strategy that you can do on a weekly basis. That strategy alone did 7% on a compounding basis for the last 20 years. So that was a very core, simple strategy you could use. You could mimic that strategy across a bunch of different ETFs. And then on top of that, you could layer on some adjustment techniques, rolling. I mean, like backtesting wise, we didn't have the ability to adjust positions that we're losing or roll contracts to the next month or reduce risk. So there's easily some ways that you can kind of squeeze some additional premium out. But as a baseline, I mean, that right there, like not only matched the market, but it beat the market pretty much in every time period. And that was a very simple strategy that you can use. So again, go back to show number 159 is a very easy one that you can start to implement. So if you needed some proof as to where I'm coming up with these numbers, and that was an iron condor strategy. So you could easily do the straddle strangle and you outperform that and start increasing the return. So again, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence and stability to get to that level. So don't think that you're going to get there overnight or even in the first year or five years. It might take some time to actually get to those levels and let things really start to solidify. Um, But I think that that's the range you should be in. So thank you again, Alex, for submitting the question. As always, if you guys want to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook, we do our Facebook lives head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. Those come right to me. It goes to nobody else. So I am the one that hears all those. I filter through. It's first come, first serve. We add these up to all the podcasts uh, just like we did here for Alex. And that way we get your guys' questions answered uh, right in front of you. So hopefully that helps out. All right, so let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to discuss a new trade that we're making in XOP right now. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so a new trade that we're making today in XOP is, no surprise, another very wide iron butterfly. We like these iron butterflies for a lot of reasons, but one of the main ones is, is that they're really easy to control risk. And right now, because implied volatility is generally low. It's actually not insanely low for XOP. Um, It's in the 40th rank, so it's not insanely low by any stretch, but it's generally low. But XOP's implied volatility being generally low means that these out-of-the-money options to buy cheap protection on the far ends and wings 
is really cheap. And so for a couple little pennies of premium, we can cap our risk, control our margin a lot better. Right now we're trading the at the money iron butterfly, which is essentially a straddle with cheap protection. We're trading the straddle, which is the 24 calls and the 24 puts. And then we're buying options on the 30 calls and the 18 puts. So obviously you can see it's a good distance out of the money, about $6 out on either end. And we're buying those uh, 30 call options for seven cents and the 18 puts for nine cents. So for a whopping uh, 16 cents in premium, literally $16, we are able to completely cap and control our margin exposure and our risk. Again, this is a, a trade-off that I choose to make with my trades. I choose mostly to do straddles, which is what an iron butterfly is, straddles with very cheap wing protection. And by doing that, I am offsetting, I am willing to give up $16 of premium in exchange for capped and controlled risk. And that's the trade-off that I want to make. Now, I could easily do the straddle, but then I'd have undefined exposure on both sides that would limit me to the number of tickers I could trade. And so for me, I like doing this. This is why we do a lot of iron butterflies, why we do a lot of iron condors here at Option Alpha. This gives us a total net credit of $2.58. We're doing four contracts because it's not that much to hold as far as margin, still a small position size for us. And obviously, we are going to be laddering into a number of positions as we start to see XOP move. I think the interesting thing about XOP right now, if I could dovetail on one comment um, at this time right now when we got into this trade, is that what we recently saw in XOP, and you may have remembered this depending on how far back you're listening to this podcast, what we recently saw just about two and a half weeks ago was an overnight news story over the weekend of an attack on a Saudi Arabia oil field. And that disrupted, or everyone thought it was going to disrupt the oil production. So when markets open for crude oil and an oil and gas ETF like XOP, on Monday, the markets opened up basically 10 to 15% higher. So XOP actually gapped up a couple of weeks ago, gapped up that day to about $26, $27. Well, it's funny because that gap was not only immediately closed, but it's since been falling since that immediate gap. I think this is interesting because what a lot of people do is they trade based off news stories like this. Not that you shouldn't have been aware that that happened, but you shouldn't believe that that gap up was going to continue because I saw a lot of people say at that time, oh, this is just the beginning. And people poured into call options on XOP on that gap up. I think the you know the call option volume was almost 2x the put option volume that day. And so this really kind of led me to believe, obviously, that people who are pouring into this are just plain out, flat out speculating. They have no basis for actually really doing this. It's not part of a global strategy. They're not being mechanical. They're just speculating. And that's fine. If you want to speculate, you know, use some of your gambling money and speculate. But this was interesting because if you look at a chart of XOP, after this gap up that day, it has done nothing but completely reverse the gap and close even below the gap. Uh, and this is, again, very telling that we don't know where markets are going to go. <laughs> that's really the point of this, is that even though we could have these outside forces that create mini black swans, I would I would consider that a mini black swan for the oil sector. It's, up 15% in crude oil futures tradings overnight. We don't know where it's going to go after that. So had you had a position there and it would have been challenged initially, we did not have a position there, so we didn't get challenged on this. But had you had a position and you were challenged, you still weren't at expiration and it actually came back in before expiration last month. Very interesting kind of dynamic here. This is the stuff that I think about, by the way, and I, I look at. So if you ever wonder what Kirk does on a day-to-day basis when I'm not recording podcasts or answering emails or stuff, this is actually stuff. I kind of like noodle on this. I, I look at a lot of charts. I kind of see through a lot of these things. And I you know I generally continue to build my frame of reference, which is that we have no idea where markets are going to go and we shouldn't uh, assume that we do or try to predict them in any case. So 
Anyway, so that's our trade in XOP. Hopefully it helps out. As always, if you want to get these trades when they're sent out to our members, uh, you sign up for a pro early membership on Option Alpha. We publish all of our trades about 30 to 45 days after they go out to our pro members. So obviously beyond when the trade was closed or when the trade's getting close to being closed, we publish out those video updates to uh, to the website on YouTube, etc. So, But if you want to get them live real time, you can sign up for a membership at Option Alpha. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right. I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show as always and got at least one or 11 things out of this that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 165. Again, that's just the number 165, optionalpha.com slash show 165. And until next time, happy trading.